0: and i'd never done anything with linkedin because i think as many people i had the belief that like linkedin is just where you you know paste your resume you say i'm humble to announce my new job things like that but i was like no there's got to be something more to it
1: This is Chan with The Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Marina, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Max. Good to be here.
1: How's the Netherlands, right?
0: Yes, Netherlands.
1: So from a geographical discussion, is Netherlands and Holland the same thing or is that different?
0: So it's the same thing. And there's some discussions about whether or not like it's acceptable to call the Netherlands Holland because technically, you know, we have some provinces. We have like North Holland and South Holland, but the whole country is the kingdom of the Netherlands. So yeah, it depends on who you ask, but most people are fine with calling it Holland.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah, so I wanted to bring you on because we've been... On and off talking on LinkedIn, I believe you started the same time as me. And what's great about you is that you're one of the few that are still here when I started. Because the ones that started during the big boom when the pandemic hit, there were a lot of content creators, but a lot of them have fell off. The ones that are still here are the ones that started before the pandemic, anyway. So I thought it'd be a great time to be able to finally chat with you and discuss your career journey and for people listening could get some like insights and inspiration if they're looking to make a career move as well because you've done two things in your career right? you change fields and you also change countries so you changed country first right before you change fields right
0: yes okay, i, so I let's... had to think about it it was more or less around the same time but the real change happened yeah i switched countries and then i really changed careers i think okay. that's uh, yeah <laughs>
1: Okay, so you're originally based in the US, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about your upbringing in the US from an education perspective, and then what made you decide to make an international move?
0: Absolutely. So I'm originally actually from Russia. I was born in Russia, but when I was very little, we moved to California for my dad's job. So I was raised in the Bay Area, and I did some schooling in Southern California and Orange County as well. And I grew up like, I don't know, very American. I was like, yeah, U.S. is great. Everything here is wonderful. I want to stay here. But I think around high school, I was like, you know what? There's life outside of the U.S. You know, my family traveled a lot. We were always very open to new experiences. And I was like, I kind of want to live in Europe. But my family was like, you know, U.S., you know, just life-wise, it's better. There's more opportunities here for you. And I was very set on leaving. I was like, I don't care. I want to see what's in Europe. I want to try it out for myself. So I studied abroad in the Netherlands for the first time during my bachelor's. And then when it was time for grad school, I was going to stay in the U.S. originally. But then I saw U.S. education prices. And as you definitely know, U.S. is known for their insane education prices. So I was looking at grad school in Washington D.C. for political science, and it was a two-year program, and tuition alone was sixty thousand dollars, six zero for tuition per year alone, or per, per year. semester.
1: Oh, for year, okay.
0: That's one hundred twenty k in tuition for like a grad school program, and I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, okay, nobody's going to help me pay for this. I have to figure this out myself, and that's just not realistic. So I looked into studying in the Netherlands again. And then I saw the prices there and it was like 10K for a year program, intensive study, same kind of program as in the US, but condensed and way cheaper and also high quality. So I was like, yeah, it's time for me to move to Europe because again, that's what I always wanted to do. And this was kind of like a chance to really make that happen for myself kind of easily. So yeah, I took the plunge and ended up staying.
1: Nice. How did the application process go when you're applying as an international student? Is it a bit different than domestic?
0: It's definitely different. First of all, international tuition is still more expensive. So I think what uh, my classmates were saying, I think I paid about five times as much as they did, you know, coming originally from the Netherlands. But for me as an American, like 10K versus 60K, it's still a crazy difference. Like to them, 10K is a lot. But to me, coming from the U.S., I was like, yeah, that's very reasonable. And the application process is a little different because we have different standardized tests in the U.S., but because they do accept a lot of international students, they really work with you in that process. And I mean, I applied for some American schools and I applied for some European schools. And I wouldn't say that there was, you know, a huge problem. There a huge difference. They have counselors who work especially with international students and they just make it so easy for you.
1: Did you apply to multiple schools in the Netherlands or just this specific one?
0: No, I applied to a few. I'm always ashamed to say I didn't do a ton of research. I did a ton of research for the schools, but not the locations. So I applied, for instance, also to, uh, I'm going to say it's super American, sorry, Dutch people, Groningen University, which is kind of up north. And at the time I was like, yeah, it looks like a good school, good program, you know, fair tuition. And then I got accepted and I looked up where it was and I was like, there is nothing there. There is nothing in this part of the Netherlands. It's so far away from like where everyone is, where all the jobs are. So I was like, yeah, I should have done my research. But I got into a couple of schools in the Netherlands and Leiden University just ended up being the perfect place for me in terms of the program, the location, kind of everything all together.
1: So you did a study abroad in the Netherlands for your bachelor's and then you went back for your master's, right? So did that experience during your bachelor's prepare you for the master's instead of just going straight to a new country for the first time?
0: I would say yes and no, because during my bachelor's, I studied abroad in a different city and... I made a lot of mistakes. I, again, didn't research a whole lot and I kind of got connected to one person and I stayed with that one person, which really limited me. I didn't hang out with, you know, a lot of different people. I didn't have all the different experiences I probably should have. So when I finally came back for grad school, I was very much the opposite. I was talking to random people. I was going out constantly just, you know, to museums, to new restaurants, to just see what's out there. And that was something I was not prepared for. But in general, in terms of the country and in terms of how the people are, in terms of what kind of job opportunities are available, I'd say it definitely prepared me to study abroad first.
1: In terms of the language, is it mainly English at the school or did you have to start learning how to speak Dutch?
0: So actually, when I studied abroad, we had a mandatory immersion program, which I think was six weeks of intensive Dutch study, which did not help me at all. I passed my exam. I even did like a little skit in Dutch which if you ask me to remember what it was about or what I said, I have no clue. That was so long ago and it didn't stick because a lot of people here, I'd say most people, 90 something percent, I think the statistic is, they do speak English. So if you want to come to the Netherlands and learn Dutch like in an immersive kind of way, that's probably not going to happen because the second they hear a foreign accent, they're like, ah, English, I can do English. And you're like, no, 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 I'm trying to learn Dutch. So that's probably the hardest part about picking up Dutch here.
1: Yeah, I have a friend that, is originally from Ontario, Canada, and she went to Montreal and she didn't know a lot of French, you know, she was in the French immersion program in Ontario, but the way that she learned quickly was as you did, just go into the city and force yourself to speak Dutch to people. And then that's how you improve, right? Like, you need that practical oh, application.
0: Yeah, that's 100%. It. Yeah, but I know from my personal experience, when I went to France, since you brought up French, it's way easier to learn in places like that by immersion, because they don't speak English, like you can struggle and suffer all you want, they don't care. They're going to try to speak to you in French. But in the Netherlands, they are so quick to change. And you're like, no, please, <laughs> I'm trying to learn.
1: Yeah, they're trying to accommodate you, but you don't want them to accommodate you. You want to yeah. learn and improve, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, let me suffer.
1: <laughs> so if someone was wanting to learn a new language, how long do you think it took you to, like, what level would you say you are now? Intermediate, master, or where are you now? Like, and how long have you been there, by the way?
0: Oh, no, this is always the embarrassing conversation. (laughs) I think in total, I've been in the Netherlands for about four years, based on, you know, my two experiences living abroad here. But my Dutch is at a very low level. I can understand a lot. And when it comes to reading, I can also pick up a fair bit. But speaking is the part I really struggle with. So if I'm like at an intermediate level when it comes to listening and reading, I'm at quite a beginner level with speaking because I can't figure out the Dutch accent. It does not come naturally to me. I can't really process it. So yeah, that's the part where I really am at quite a low level for someone who's lived here this long.
1: Do you think you lack career opportunities because of your lack of mastery of the language? Or you think it's okay because you said a majority of people do speak English there?
0: The issue is that while they do speak English, they do prefer Dutch. So I 100% know for a fact that there's so many opportunities that aren't available to me exclusively because I don't speak the language. And I mean, I understand that's entirely on me. I can learn the language. I can, you know, take classes. I can force myself to learn. So I'm not saying like, you know, all these Dutch people ignoring me. Like, I get it. It's their language. They want people to know it. And I know that, I don't know, out of every 10 marketing opportunities, I qualify maybe for three just because I don't speak Dutch.
1: Yeah, so the job ads would say like, do they actually say you have to know Dutch? Or since it's like their native language, they don't bring it up?
0: No, they bring it up. They make it very clear. Either the vacancy is written completely in Dutch or it says like you have to be able to speak Dutch at a native level or near native level.
1: So is your resume in Dutch or in English?
0: It's in English. I'm not going to lie. I've had that before where they reach out because I I apply no matter what. I'm confident. I'm like, you're going to like me. (laughs) But then they reach out and they're like, oh, do you speak Dutch by the way? And I'm like, no, not really. And they're like, oof, never mind.
1: Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. If I wanted to work in like Hong Kong, I'd be embarrassed because I moved to Canada when I was young, like yourself, when you mm-hmm. were young and moved to the States. I know very basic. So it'd be embarrassing for me to like try to work there because I don't know the language, right? You know, it looked like I yeah. should. So. <laughs> um, yeah. So what did you graduate from in the master's?
0: I actually studied political science with a focus in international organizations. So everything to do with like the UN, NGOs, governments worldwide, that sort of thing.
1: Okay. And how was it in terms of your job search? Did you try to get a job in that in your specialty with your degree? Or did you do some self-discovery and then do something else instead?
0: It was hilarious because I didn't even think about the fact that I don't qualify for a single job because I don't have an EU passport. And to work in all these organizations, government or non government, like at the level that I wanted to work at, you need an EU passport. And I was like, dang, that means I don't qualify for a single one of them. And I had these, again, I blame myself, didn't do the research, but I had these ambitions to like work for the, you know, the International Criminal Court because I had a focus in anti human trafficking efforts. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do that. And then when I graduated, I realized that's not going to happen. So that's when I really had to like do some self-reflection and be like, okay, what am I trying to do because this isn't happening? So that's kind of when marketing came about. And yeah, now I'm here.
1: Can you quickly explain to the audience what an EU passport is? Is it like help you easily go from all the countries in the European Union?
0: Yeah, it's a passport from a country that's in the EU. So in the European Union. So if I had a Dutch passport, that's an EU passport. But I have an American passport. We're not part of the EU, so... I am foreign here.
1: Is it hard to get one?
0: I mean, living in the Netherlands now, because I'm married to someone who's a Dutch citizen, I think I have to live here either for three or five years, and I have to pass the Dutch integration exam, which is a language exam, a culture exam, a geography exam, kind of all in one. There's a few steps that I have to do, and it takes some time. So in the Netherlands, technically, it's possible. It's very possible. And I'm on that route, but it's not immediate.
1: You say you're married or engaged? I didn't Married. Get- Married. Okay. So how did you meet him? Was it through your school?
0: No, Tinder.
1: (laughs) Tinder? Oh, is Tinder big in the Netherlands?
0: Oh, I think as big as it is everywhere, honestly.
1: (laughs) All right, cool. So like, did he ask you, do you speak Dutch or no?
0: (laughs) No, no, no. I was very clear that uh, I speak English. I'm a student from the US and his profile was also in English. So it worked out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. So going to what you said about like how you didn't have an EU passport, so you weren't Mm -hmm. able to get any opportunities that you want to do based off your specialty in your degree you ended up discovering digital marketing so how did that come about
0: it honestly happened by accident because as i said i did some self-reflection and i was like okay political science isn't happening at least right now what am i good at what do i like to do and i thought about it and i love writing i've always loved it but i kind of grew up in an environment where i was told writing's not a real career And I also always loved social media. But again, I was kind of told it's not a real career. You do it for fun. You do it on the side. And despite that, I always had some volunteer work going on in those fields. I just did kind of some side jobs, you know, just on a little part-time basis. And I never thought that I could build a career from that. But I was like, okay, I can do this. I have experience in this. I'm pretty all right at this. And I kind of put all those skills together. And I was like, okay, so this is marketing, and I started exploring opportunities in marketing and communications. And yeah, the rest is history. I really took off on that path. And it started off quite difficult because, again, it's not what I ever expected to do. But the more I researched it, the more I practiced, the more I was like, yeah, this is a field for me. This is what I'm really keen on.
1: So did you get your first digital marketing job without any experience? Like you said you were developing skills, right? So did you develop skills before you started applying? How was the process?
0: I developed the skills before I started applying. And I think the best thing I did for myself was translate all of the skills that I had before ever having like an official marketing job into things that are useful for marketing. So again, I did a lot of blog writing. I did a lot of research. Even for my degree, I did so much writing and communication and conducting interviews. And I translated those skills into what I thought would be useful in a marketing job. So when I interviewed, I was very honest. I was like, I never had any official marketing jobs. But I've done a little bit of this, I've done a little bit of that. And so they were very open to giving me an opportunity, because that's what they were looking for. They didn't want someone, you know, specifically with a marketing degree, they just wanted someone who had those skills and was open to growing.
1: Yeah, one of the issues that a lot of professionals have is highlighting their transferable skills. Mm -hmm. Many people right now want to pivot careers, right? But if they don't have the official title, and haven't done those direct responsibilities, they find it challenging. So how are you able to translate those transferable skills on your resume and in the interview so that they would still give you an opportunity, even though you don't have direct experience?
0: So I think the best thing I did for myself there is literally look at the job description, like the vacancy, how they outlined it. And I thought about how I could do this job and what skills I have that would allow me to do it. So for instance, if they say they want someone who, you know, markets their services on LinkedIn. And at the time I was just getting started on LinkedIn. So I was like, okay, what is LinkedIn? LinkedIn is a social media platform. I've worked with Facebook before. I've written on Facebook. I've written blog posts and LinkedIn has blog posts. So I made a little list for myself with like the vacancy uh, requirements and the skills that I had that kind of aligned with each and every one of those. And then, you know, I reorganized that list. I reorganized some more. And after a while I looked at it and I was like, okay, if I was a hiring manager and I saw this, I would think these skills are pretty relevant for this job. So I think it's a whole lot of just organizing and getting on paper what you're able to do.
1: Did you apply online only or did you do some networking as well? What was your strategy there?
0: So I did a lot of all of the above. I was very determined. So I tried to reach out to people. I tried to make connections. I just tried sending out my resume. And while I'm a huge advocate of doing that, like networking and you know, I'm on LinkedIn, so I know the value of a personal brand now, But back when I was getting started, it was actually just sending out my resume that got me opportunities.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And what's the job search process like in the Netherlands compared to the U.S.? Because I'm assuming it's a bit different, right?
0: It's definitely a bit different. I think there's way more viable job opportunities on LinkedIn in the Netherlands. Because when I was searching in the U.S., LinkedIn was very spammy. Just like, I mean, LinkedIn jobs, you know what I mean? Like the specific job platform little column there. So I really struggled there. I used Indeed a lot in the U.S., But in the Netherlands, I found that LinkedIn is way more useful for finding work. And I talked to some other expats and I was like, how do you guys do it? And everyone was saying LinkedIn is the place. Like talk to professionals there, build your network, start applying. And I was like, "Okay." so LinkedIn is what really helped me find jobs and at the very least find companies whose websites I would then visit and see the openings there.
1: I also don't live there, right? But I heard that networking is more of a North American thing, not necessarily a Europe thing. I'm assuming that's not true from what you just said.
0: No it's so not true. (laughs) Networking is huge here and I mean currently the company for whom I work we organize you know a few annual conferences and a huge emphasis we always place a huge emphasis on networking and the networking opportunities we offer and we know our clients are extremely keen on that they want to meet other people in their industry in similar industries just in other industries and networking is a huge thing for them.
1: That's great so what's your plan like Where do you see yourself in the next five years, as the interview (laughs) questions would say? Yeah, where you see yourself?
0: I think that honestly, I'm on my way to starting my own business. While I very much like what I do, and I think there's a lot of benefits to you know working a nine to five and being employed by someone else. I have a lot of ideas and things that I want to do, and I've been talking about running my own business. I think since I was like three years old. If you ask my parents. (laughs) So I think that's going to be the next step for me. Maybe not now. I think there's definitely some things that I could still pick up working on an already established team and kind of growing within someone else's organization. But the more long-term plan for me is starting my own digital marketing agency or something of the sort.
1: Okay. So are you going to focus on a specific type of skill? For example, you were talking about content, right? So are you focused more Mm -hmm. on like content marketing or are you focused more on like website development? Or is there a specific niche that you're looking to explore? Or are you trying to do be like a suite of services for businesses?
0: What I'm thinking at this point is very much around content creation and social media, because I've noticed that's what I enjoy most about all my marketing jobs. And I mean, that might change in the next year, I might discover like some hidden talent I had, or you know, some hidden calling. But at this point, that's kind of where I am, because I've noticed that when I don't get to do those a lot in my day to day marketing work, I kind of get bored. And I feel like I'm missing out because I'm very keen on communicating and meeting people and creating relevant content for them and kind of measuring the impact of that. So that's something I want to continue doing on the larger scale.
1: I know this might be ways of ways, right? But would you ever consider moving back to the U.S. and live and work there? Or do you think like Netherlands will be where you are going to be for the foreseeable future?
0: So funny you should ask me that, because I think up until about a month ago, I was very much saying, like, I want to move back to the U.S. The U.S. is home. That's where my family is. That's where my friends are. And I mean, I don't have that same community in the Netherlands, and I really miss that about the U.S. So I went on a trip recently. We went to Spain and Portugal with my mom. And when we landed back in the Netherlands, I was like, Mom, I have a weird feeling that I feel like I'm home right now. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, the Netherlands really feels like home right now. And I've kind of weighed out the pros and cons. And at this point, I'm really leaning towards staying in the Netherlands. I mean, who knows? As I said, things change in the blink of an eye. But at this point, I think the Netherlands is where I want to be.
1: Yeah, it's about like living the present, right? Like you can't yeah. plan for something like ways away. So yeah. like you said, you did a trip to Spain and Portugal, right? And then you felt more comfortable saying that this will be home for a while. So
0: yeah, exactly. exactly.
1: So speaking of what you said about like how... I believe you said your family, I believe that like social media marketing is not a real job, right? It's just for fun. But you and I both know that's not no longer the case, especially (laughs) with like TikTok blowing up and like a lot of people trying to be TikTok famous and get like brand deals and stuff, right? So there is money Mm -hmm. to be made there. So I want to talk about something that I'm passionate about and I'm assuming you're passionate about as well is content marketing to build your personal brand. So as I said earlier in our conversation, you and I both started around the same time in creating content. So what made you decide to start publishing content on LinkedIn?
0: So for me, it was very much the pandemic that drove me there because I was working remotely. Again, I didn't have an established community in the Netherlands, you know, no friends, no family, really. So I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to, you know, really start pushing my career to, you know, a new point in life. And I was like, people talk about social media and the impact of it. Let's see what it's all about. And I'd never done anything with LinkedIn because I think, as many people, I had the belief that like LinkedIn is just where you, you know, paste your resume, you say, I'm humble to announce my new job, things like that. But I was like, no, there's gotta be something more to it. And I started connecting with other creators, you know, such as yourself. I started posting my own content, which was so scary. I remember my first post about the uh, blog work I was doing. And I put it out there and I saw the views going up and nobody was liking it. And I was like, oh, no, they hate me. (laughs) But it was a journey. And that's just kind of where it began. Just wanting to try something new and trying to, uh, you know, push my career further through social media.
1: Are you only on LinkedIn now from a content creation perspective or are you expanding to other platforms?
0: So I'm... Technically, just on LinkedIn and Instagram. Instagram is more of an all-around thing for me because I also have done some part-time modeling. So it's made sense to be active on Instagram. And LinkedIn is more for marketing, but those are the two main platforms. And I feel like I already spent so much time there that, you know, I've thought about like TikTok and Twitter, but I'm like, no, I still need to have a little bit of a life outside of social media.
1: <laughs> when you start going down the social media rabbit hole, it is very time consuming. Exactly. So you said you did part-time modeling. So would you consider yourself like one of those Instagram models or you're not, you don't want to be labeled that?
0: I wouldn't say Instagram model because I've mostly worked with smaller, more local fashion brands, sustainable fashion and up and coming photographers. So I would never say that I'm like, you know, propping up my phone to get that perfect shot. My Instagram is mostly just the shoots that I've done for others and the travel photos from my own adventures. So that's my main thing on Instagram. I would not call myself an Instagram model.
1: (laughs) Going back to LinkedIn, we discussed that a lot of people fell off at some point and you and I are still here, right? I think there's been a few times that you posted on LinkedIn saying that you took a break for a bit, but then you went back on it. So what made you keep going and building up your personal brand on LinkedIn for the past two years?
0: So I think it's important to also mention why I started not spending so much time on LinkedIn, because while you and I did start around the same time, I'm willing to bet I've taken more time off because I see you there very consistently. And I know that I've disappeared for months at a time. And a lot of it, I mean, had to do with the fact that I felt like I wasn't good enough. I mean, all these content creators, you know, they post and immediately they get, you know, 10 new leads, 100 reactions, a million comments. And I was like, I'm not at that point. And that means I'm a failure. And it just made me feel bad about myself as social media often does. And another part of it was that it was time consuming. As I said, I didn't want to be active on more platforms because I felt like so much time was going into it. And sometimes I'd run out of ideas and sometimes I just didn't feel like being social. So I, you know, I just decided, yeah, maybe LinkedIn's not for me. But after a while, I did keep coming back because I tried to focus on the positives and I tried to use the negatives as a learning experience. So I think I'm more at the point where when I see other people succeeding on LinkedIn, I don't think, wow, I'm a failure in comparison. I think, what did they do to get there? And how did they measure success versus how I measure it? And I use it as motivation for myself to get better and to better kind of organize what my personal goals are instead of comparing myself to what they're doing. And I did see the value in a personal brand when it came to just getting noticed for work, having people recognize my marketing, my writing projects recognize who I am, that's always a nice feeling to know, okay, so I've really made a mark on this industry. That's, yeah, it's just a huge thing to see yourself succeeding like that. And I think the more active you are on platforms like LinkedIn, the more chances you have to show off all your hard work and yeah, just get better at what you do.
1: So speaking of opportunities, what type of opportunities were you able to generate from building your personal brand on LinkedIn?
0: I mean, I've had a lot of people I work with recognize my work. And even people that I feel a little bad saying it, but even people from the companies where I worked, whom I didn't really know, would come up to me in the office and be like, hey, I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and that was really cool. I was like, so my writing's getting out there and I'm getting some offers to do, you know, some part-time work. I recently, I met someone on LinkedIn, actually. We connected, I think, over something very random a couple of years ago. And just recently, I helped him edit a big book he wrote. It was the first publication he ever had. And I had a really big part to play in that. And that was just so exciting. And it all came from LinkedIn. Like we never would have met if it wasn't for LinkedIn. So it's things like that that I was like, wow, you can actually like find work just by putting your own projects out there.
1: Going back to what you said about like how you initially thought LinkedIn was a place you just put your resume on. A lot of people might feel uncomfortable starting to post on LinkedIn. I actually had this too, where when you start posting on LinkedIn, they think you're looking for a job. So what's your thoughts on that?
0: I think that you should really just push past the initial awkwardness of starting to post and start posting about what you're interested in. I would really say that you don't even have to pick a specific field of interest at the beginning. You should just start posting and see what feels comfortable. And at the end of the day, the way you should look at it is if you post as well, if you get a lot of attention that you were looking for, then boom, that's awesome. Keep going. And if you don't get a lot of attention, it means people didn't even see it. So there's nothing to be scared of, nothing to be embarrassed about. Nobody's going to remember it. So my initial fear was like, nobody's going to see it. And then I was like, why am I afraid of that? If nobody saw it, then there's nothing to be embarrassed about. (laughs) So I really just urge everyone to just start doing it.
1: From what I've gathered so far, you mainly focus on written content, right? Mm-hmm. You did do a podcast for a few months. So that was your first, I believe, your first real experience in the audio space. So mm-hmm. how was that expanding from like just written to doing audio?
0: I think it's a whole different experience. And I know that I have a tendency to stutter sometimes. But when I'm having a conversation like this, it doesn't really bother me because I mean, I don't know, just natural. It's just the way we interact. But when I had my own podcast very briefly, it was stressful because I was like, I had this little like intro that I wrote and I read it at the beginning and I'd randomly just stutter and I was like, no, I'm failing. This is horrible. It's just like a whole new layer of pressure because when you write, you can go back, you can edit it. And when you get it out there, it's just like, boom, here's my text. Nice and easy. But with audio, it's just, yeah, you really have to you know, talk eloquently and get your message out there the way you want it to be heard and hope nobody misinterprets it. And there's so much editing that goes into it. And I was like, yo, I'm not ready for my own podcast.
1: So was this your own podcast or was it part of the organization that wanted you to host it? Like, what was the logistics in that?
0: So it was an organization that worked in the field of political science and human rights and they wanted someone to run a podcast so it was entirely my podcast you know I decided what it's called where we put it who the guests are and they just hosted it on their website because I did it in collaboration with them in the sense that they promote human rights and I have a podcast you know also promoting human rights so that was the collaboration there
1: okay and when you no longer want to do the podcast did you hand it over to them and someone took over or was it just done
0: I gave it back to them. So I did hand it over, but nobody took over. I've looked it up and I don't even think they posted my last episode. I have posted the last episode, so it's available because, you know, I wanted my guests to uh, get the recognition they deserve. But at the same time, the organization kind of, yeah, because they rely quite heavily on volunteer work. So it's hard to uh, get someone to get involved there.
1: So did you have an option to continue running it even when you were like graduating from the program and all that?
0: yeah yeah because i did it already when i was working in marketing because okay. this was kind of my thing that i did to try to get back into political science and human rights but it was very time consuming that was another thing i write quite quickly and once there's a topic in my mind you, go, you know i just boom little piece of content out posted ready to go but with the podcast it was a whole lot of planning we did a little prep call before we recorded i had to edit the audio i even did a transcript once. Because I felt that my guests really deserved to uh, get their content out there. It was a very important topic. Yeah, it was so much time. And I felt like the payoff wasn't worth it for me. I wanted to focus on other things.
1: All right. So the main thing I want to emphasize is that you should try different things. And if it doesn't work out, then at least you, you try, right? Like some people don't try at all. So what was some of your experiences with your run as a podcast host? Like, What were some learning lessons that you were able to bring forward into your current career in digital marketing?
0: Oh my gosh, so many. Sometimes you will approach people and you will have the best intentions at heart and in mind, and they will be so mean to you for no reason. I think it's very similar to sales in that sense, because I approached a lot of people to be my guests. And I had so many angry responses from people who were saying, oh, you know, I'm not going to do this unless you pay me. Who do you think you are? And I was just like, oh, okay. (laughs) I greeted you with kindness. And the response I got was not so kind. So that was a big, you know, learning for me that not everyone you're going to meet is going to be nice, but that's okay because you can't control them, but you can control your reactions to it. And while at first I was quite hurt, I realized, you know, I, I can't be hurt by everyone who's not nice to me. And I think that's important not only in marketing, but in any work you do. And another thing is indeed to try new things, because I never thought I'd try running a podcast. It was very random for me, but I was like, yeah, why not? Let's try it. And Yeah, as I said, I don't think I will have another podcast in the near future. I underestimated how much work it would be and how much time would go into it. But yeah, I think you should really try everything at least once because that's how you learn what you do and what you don't want to do.
1: So do you regret starting the podcast or would you have regret not starting at all?
0: I have no regrets. I think everything I tried happened for a reason because I wanted it to. And if it didn't work out, then yeah, it's a learning because if I never tried it, then I'd still be here wondering, should I have my own podcast? And now I think, nope, I should not have my own podcast. Yeah, now you know,
1: now you know, like you'll be a guest on like podcasts such as mine, but you wouldn't ever want to post one again, just from your own experience of like managing a podcast on your own.
0: Yep, right on.
1: So we talk about like written content, we talk about audio content, would you ever consider like doing video content? Or is that... Not really your focus and you just want to be really good in the writing space.
0: So I've thought about it because I think video content can be really cool if done well. But I also think that I'm like the most awkward person on video. Again, not in a situation like this. I feel like we're just having conversations. So it's very chill. But I've tried recording my own videos and I've applied for jobs where they require like you to film an intro about yourself. And oh my goodness, I always look at myself and I'm like, why are my eyes blinking so unevenly? And why is my smile so crooked? And why do I look so uncomfortable? And yeah, it's just not something that I'm good at, I would need a whole lot of practice and probably some training to get better at it. And yeah, it just doesn't make sense at this point, because I think my writing content is really what I want to do for work. Maybe one day that'll change. But at this point, I'm really trying to, uh, you know, focus on what I'm good at and what I enjoy.
1: For sure. And going back to What you said about videos, in terms of like a video resume, where they want you to record an intro about yourself, is that very popular in the Netherlands?
0: I wouldn't say it's very popular. I think it just depends on the organization. They still require a proper resume or a link to your LinkedIn, but they also say, you know, we want to see you as a person. And I don't get it because I think so many people who are, you know, wonderful in person are very awkward and uncomfortable in video. So I think it's a poor indicator. But yeah, I've I've encountered it a few times. I don't think they ever called me back after they saw my videos. So that's a pretty good indicator for me.
1: (laughs) All right. So you've had a very adventurous career. You've studied, worked in the US. You moved to the Netherlands. you built a personal brand on LinkedIn and as well as Instagram. So what are some of the uh, learning lessons that you could share with someone right now in terms of like pivoting your career and doing different things to grow it?
0: Well, the main thing is keep in mind that even if your experience doesn't directly relate to what you want to do, keep those transferable skills in mind. I tell that to everyone. Even, you know, my sister has worked in very different jobs. She's in college and she's trying to get into this, you know, field that she's studying. And she's like, you know, Marina, how do I include my other experience? It doesn't really relate to what I want to do. And I was like, hey, let's look at the transferable skills. And when you look at it, these jobs that are seemingly so unrelated They actually are quite related because there's so many skills like, you know, working with a team, writing content, communicating, leading. There's so much transferable stuff there, basically. So I'd always say focus on that and don't be afraid to try new things. Because, again, at the end of the day, nobody's going to remember if you you know launched an Instagram and failed, if you tried to, you know, get cool on Twitch and failed. It happens. Life happens. And you're the only one who's going to remember that. But hopefully you'll remember it from a perspective of, I tried, I learned, I failed, and life went on. Because if you don't try, you're not going to know what you like and what you don't like. You can think that, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. This is where my passions lie. But until you experiment with your career and your life, you're not going to know for sure.
1: I think one of the things that holds people back from creating content is not like, for example, I don't know what to write about. I don't know. Well, it has to do with like, if people will like it, right? But I think the main thing is like, they worry about like the hater comments. Like I've been doing TikTok for I think like six months now and I get so many, hate, so, many uh, so, so many bad comments. So like what's your advice for people like worry about what people think of them when they start posting?
0: I always say to look at the people who are giving you hate because I, I've received some hate as well, definitely. I mean, everybody, you know, who creates content has and I always look at them and it's always the people who never do their own thing. They don't have their own content. They don't have much going for them. Their whole life is just making other people feel bad about themselves. And that's really sad because the people who are doing their own thing, they're not going to waste their time on, you know, hating you and, you know, what you're writing, what you're saying, unless you're really saying something just objectively horrible. But in general, you know, I've never felt the desire to go out of my way and give people hate because that's just such a waste of time. Even if I look at their stuff and I'm like, yeah, this doesn't vibe with me. I never want to take the time to write a mean comment because who does that help? And I feel like that's how you really need to look at it. The people who have their own life, the people who are happy with themselves, they don't waste time hating.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I've learned is that people above you will never make fun of you, right? It's only the people that are behind you. Exactly. So I want to wrap this conversation up by asking this question I ask all my guests. So, as you know, on my podcast, I focus on helping professionals overcome common career challenges to help them get to the next level. So, for you, from your vast amount of experience, traveling, working in different fields, building out your personal brand, what has been one big challenge during your career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today?
0: I'd say one of the biggest challenges I've encountered is not being recognized as an expert because I'm young. Because everything I started, I started early and I always worked quickly. So as I said, every intensive study program, I went for it. I didn't want to waste my time if I could do something quickly. And as a result, I got a lot of experience in the short amount of time. And so many people still, you know, correlate the amount of years of experience you have with how good you are at something, which is just blatantly not true. So that's one of the biggest challenges I've had to overcome. And a lot of it has really just come with proving myself through projects, which is why I like LinkedIn, because I can really show what I've worked on, the results I've achieved. And I don't have to write how old I am. I don't have to write when I graduated, when I went to school. All people see is what I've created. And I think that lets them judge me better than, you know, knowing my age ever could.
1: Do you hide your graduation year in your resume so people don't know how old you are?
0: I do, actually. And I came up in a conversation a few months ago. I posted about it. And the uh, hiring manager, the interviewer, she was very unhappy with it. And she was like, you're keeping secrets from me. This makes no sense. I need to know. And I was like, no, you don't need to know, though. I have, you know, my work experience listed with the years, I can tell you how many years I've done this and that, but you don't need to know when I went to school. And I think that really, you know, that really forms a bias because people think they try to figure out how old you are and judge you by that, whether you're, you know, too young or too old, there is always going to be something. And I try to remove those biases as much as I can.
1: Did you say the hiring manager criticized your resume?
0: Yeah, we had a very nice talk about that.
1: (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Like if she didn't like your resume that much, why did she call you? That makes no sense.
0: It was a third step interview too. her colleagues liked me, but she really wanted to drill down on the fact that she wants years visible. And yeah, at the end of the conversation, even at that point, I was already like, this isn't the job for me. This is not the place where I'll succeed, because I don't want to work with people who judge based on things like that.
1: You made a good point in terms of like finding the right fit for you. Like too many people try to find a job and not the job. So what is some advice for someone that's currently job searching and they're getting frustrated with the job search and they just want to take anything, even though that's not the right approach?
0: I would say, honestly, maybe this isn't the answer you're looking for, but I would say having a job is fine while you look for the job. Because I mean, I would love to say, don't settle for anything less than what you're worth. You know, I get it. That's a nice thing to say. But at the end of the day, we all have bills to pay. We have, you know, mouths to feed. We have food to put on the table. So I think that settling for a job is fine, as long as you don't give up on your passions and you don't forget what you're worth. So I think if you're going to settle for a job, keep searching for the job while you have a job.
1: Great. And again, really appreciate the time, Arena, of uh, coming on my podcast and sharing your career story and personal journey. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and uh, how you can help them?
0: Well, they can just message me on LinkedIn. They can comment on a post. Anything they do on LinkedIn in relation to my profile, I will see because I pretty much live on LinkedIn.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Again, I appreciate the time and I hope you and you're strong.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Max.
1: i <laughs>